This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I'm super excited today because we have Justin Smith from Hawkeye Wealth. And then we also have Lisa Stewart, CRO and Director of Neighborhood Holdings Investments. Yeah, this is a great conversation and one for the time, I would say. That's how for I would describe moment. it. For this moment. Because look, the last six months, we've seen inflation kind of running out of control, I think surprising everyone in a lot of ways. We've seen the Bank of Canada raising the interest rate most recently a full percentage point. It's not a great time to be a, to be a borrower right now. Right. Right. But it may be a great time to be a lender. And this is what this conversation is about. We're talking about investing in private mortgage funds. It's a really, really interesting conversation and, and an interesting pivot in this moment. I learned a lot in this conversation from the risk management perspective, because you often hear that it's, uh, you know, often the critique of private mortgages is that it can be risky, right? But there's- Well, you're basically, my understanding has always been you're giving, you're basically providing funds to people who can't get money from from regular banks. Right, right. And, and, And that's actually, you know, you could argue that's a misconception, right? And I think we unpacked that today and we talked to Lisa really about the strategy at Neighborhood Holdings Investments. This is an interesting show, and it's really a defensive strategy in a time like right now. It's it's a defensive strategy, and it also provides capital back month over month. Every month, you're getting money back if you invest with with uh, Hawkeye and Neighborhood Holdings Investment. It's a it's a really interesting concept right now, Adam. We should say, if you are interested in this, head over to HawkeyeWealth.com/slash/vrep. That is HawkeyeWealth.com/slash/vrep. Right. Absolutely. And you can sign up for more information. It's just another strategy in your real estate portfolio and uh, something that a lot of people right now that have money that are looking to deploy. Here's an opportunity right now. Tie up your money, get a decent return, defensive strategy. It's, it's, it's definitely one worth considering. But Adam, before we get to our talk with Justin and Lisa, I feel like I'm in a COVID hothouse in part because we just finished F45. So we're both sweating like crazy in a small studio, but also because you have COVID. Yeah, no, mine's just a fever. Uh, no, I, I just got out of my quarantine. Uh, do they still call it the quarantine? I guess so, I the isolation so. period, right? I got COVID last week, early last week. Really kind of knocked me uh, knocked me down pretty hard, actually. Well, I was surprised. I, I fig- Everyone's always like, oh, yeah, it was you know, a lot of people. I mean, obviously, there's been some very serious cases, but right. you talk to a lot of people and they say it's mild. I got hit pretty hard with a fever. Like the first couple of days, some pretty weird symptoms. I got COVID thumb. Have you heard of COVID thumb? Uh, you know what? The first time I heard of it was when you told me you had it. Yeah. Yeah. COVID what thumb. is COVID thumb? <laughs> you, gotta, you, you just give everybody the thumbs up. Uh, way too much. Uh, yeah. Also, I've got COVID hang loose. Uh, no, um, you know, apparently this is a thing. Like a, about a dime size area of my thumb went completely numb for like a day. And uh, I was like, man, this can't be COVID. Like, you know, kind of like pins and needles numb. Yeah. Really weird, but uh, looked into it. It's apparently a symptom. I also got COVID tongue. I'll save that for another episode. <laughs> but I was thinking about about this. Like, if somebody's listened to past episodes, I had COVID over the Christmas break and was in a basement. We've uh, had a lot quarantining, of COVID on this show. A basement quarantining in Winnipeg, which yeah. I thought was maybe I, I won the award for the worst situation for COVID. But you just had a baby. So you have a three-year-old, a one-month-old, and you and your wife, yeah, uh, and, and some I was of the, the hottest days of the year, uh, yeah. quarantining well, sounds kind of terrible. Well, I was the only one that had tested positive, and uh, 
And so I was isolating in a bedroom upstairs while everybody was still Which home. actually, and if you weren't feeling that bad, might no, have been my, kind of an amazing couple days. No, it was kind of sweet. Like I, I blew it's through a bunch DoorDash, of documentaries. Just DoorDash. <laughs> yeah, my wife was like, enough DoorDash. Um, <laughs> just a bag of chips. Uh, just tons of delivery fees. Um, but this is what's crazy. What's crazy is that she caught on to this like day two. She was like, hey, you're like living the life of Riley up there. And I, and it was pretty, it was pretty great. She then gets and COVID. And somehow you're in trouble and can't, like no, the isolation, I no, can I imagine know. this is. Oh, I know. I know. It was crazy. Yeah, it was the like guilt trips. Yeah. I was, I felt guilty up there with COVID trying to keep everybody safe, but then everybody gets COVID. And then man, I, I became the, uh, the heavy lifter of the family. <laughs> I was basically doing everything because, because I was like. Ah, oh, you're basically done. Yeah, you're, you're basically done. You're on like day five or whatever. <laughs> so, anyways, yeah, that's uh, that's how it's been. Good, good to be back. Uh, the uh, last thing before we cut to uh, Justin and Lisa, I just wanted to say last week I sat down with Corey Wright to do the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast, and instead of a guest, I basically just interviewed Corey about the commercial real estate market right now. Yeah, but not just like how's the market. We did cover that. But also really deep dive with one of the the commercial real estate's brightest minds, I would say, yeah. about cap rates, loan to value, how this plays out, how it plays out regionally in sub markets, and uh, it was just it was just great sitting down and asking, basically peppering Corey with questions for well, forty five minutes. It's one of my favorite commercial real estate podcasts in a while. Well, a lot of people don't realize this, but before we started doing the commercial real estate podcast. One of our favorite guests to have on was Corey Wright. We'd have him on kind of every six months or so to touch base, not only on the on the real estate, on the commercial market, but just overall, because he's just such a wealth of knowledge. So right. the, it's it's not surprising that our favorite shows are still the ones that are just, just it, Corey. Exactly. And uh, yeah, really, really smart investment mind there. That's for sure. So, uh, but maybe Adam, we should cut to our talk with Lisa Stewart and Justin Smith. Yeah, this is a great one for people looking for a defensive strategy at a time like now. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Mark on building for life. Okay, so we're here with Justin Smith from Hawkeye Wealth and Lisa Stewart, Chief Revenue Officer at Neighborhood Holdings. How are you both doing today? Doing well, thanks. Doing fantastic. It's great to have you both on the show today. Can you maybe start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourselves and we'll maybe start with Lisa. Sure. So as you mentioned, I'm the Chief Revenue Officer at Neighborhood Holdings. I've been with Neighborhood for about four years. I'm a charge accountant, which sounds boring, but I promise you I'm not, but I'll let you be the judge here. <laughs> and uh, Neighborhood is a residential mortgage fund based here in Vancouver. Perfect. Okay. And Justin, you're past guest fan favorite. Um, I think people will remember you, but for those who have not heard you on the show before, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. Been in the business for just over a decade now. I, I cut my teeth selling pre-sales for a developer in Northeast BC. I believe Dave Steele was a uh, prior guest of yours right. as well. 
Shortly after that, uh, Dave partnered with a woman named Janet LePage. They together have bought many apartment buildings down in the southern U.S., uh, Phoenix. So uh, that's where I started raising capital for private equity real estate deals. In uh, 2017, I decided I'd like to uh, broaden my offerings to the people that I'd met along the way and, and decided to start Hawkeye Wealth. So the goal there is to find the best deals we can to deliver the best risk-adjusted returns uh, that we can for our clients. And and uh, part of that, and I guess how we connected with uh, Lisa and her team, was that in 2018, we were looking for defensively positioned options. And, and at the time, you know, even in 2018, 2019, we thought the market was a little frothy, believe it or not. We didn't know how much more uh, how much more it had to give. But at that time, we started a process. We were looking for a group that was uh, focused on residential mortgages, particularly because they're more defensively positioned. And then first mortgages, lower loan to value, over 100 million in size. So we started on that adventure and, and I thought it was gonna be a quick one, but it took us about 18 months before we uh, finally partnered up with uh, Neighborhood Holdings. And uh, it's been about a two-year adventure uh, and it's been fantastic group to work with for, for us and our clients. You know, maybe before we get into mortgage funds, Lisa, neighborhood holdings, has it been around? Like, can you talk about the, a little bit more about its history, how long you've been there and, and, and what you guys do? So neighborhood, I mentioned, is a residential mortgage fund. The strategy itself was actually born as a part of a single family office based here in Vancouver. So the family sold their business and set up their family office in 2012. And they'd been doing residential lending on their own balance sheet for over 30 years. They'd been doing well with the strategy. And so they decided to make this the pillar strategy within their single family office. Once they started building that business, they recognized that there is a, a big opportunity in the Canadian mortgage landscape. So there was a disconnect um, in pricing between banks, which we call A lenders or prime lenders, the B lenders, which would be like home cap, equitable, uh, some credit unions, and then the alternative space where we sit. So you would think this pricing curve in the space would be smooth, but it's not. Banks and B lenders are federally regulated institutions, and um, they have some rules uh, set out by OSFI, the bank regulator, that restricts who they can lend to and how much they can lend. So it means that if someone doesn't fit the box of a of a bank, they're pushed to a B lender and they have a big step up in rate, which may not reflect increased credit risk. And if someone doesn't meet the criteria of a B lender, they're again pushed to the alternative space where we are and there's a big step up in rate. And so the op opportunity they identified was to smooth that curve between the B lenders and the alternative space by offering some of the most competitive rates in the alternative space to provide Canadians with access to mortgage financing for a short period of time, bridge that gap, and allow them to return to that prime space at the end of the year. So that was the, the opportunity. There was pretty significant demand for their product, and that grew over about a three-year period. So in 2015, they spun out the mortgage strategy into its own entity to invite in external investors and, and really grow the business from there. So today we manage just over $400 million in residential mortgages across Canada. We lend to people who are looking to buy homes. So this could be owner-occupied. It could be real estate investors. The properties need to be in urban or suburban areas, demonstrate pride and ownership. Oh, that, that makes a lot of sense. Is So two things that just jump out at me here. One, the idea of kind of smoothing out, basically giving pretty attractive rates is my understanding of what you mean there by smoothing out the, the gap, I guess, between the kind of A, B and C different uh, spheres of lenders. You mentioned the the people that don't fit the traditional box of, of one of the banks or A lenders the credit risk doesn't necessarily go up. Is that who you're looking at for, for giving these short-term mortgage loans to? Yeah, essentially. So just because someone can't get a mortgage from a bank, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're, you know, not credit worthy or they have a bruised credit record that the space has really changed. So OSFI, the federal bank regulator, they have certain rules really to 
backstop the banks, ensure that they're not taking on too much risk because that would be create a lot of risk in our economy. So they have a box ticking exercise. You need to have verifiable income. So you need to have a T4 that says that you make X dollars a year or and they need to have some level of certainty that you'll be able to continue to earn that level of income so that they can have a relatively high level of assurance that you'll be able to continue to make your mortgage payments. So that's a great example. Someone who's new to Canada, maybe they don't have a long credit history. Maybe their real estate investors carry multiple mortgages, which again is a restriction from the bank regulator. So there's a few things where a creditworthy person may not be able to access mortgage. Another credit. example I uh, I really like is the business owner because business owners are not known for paying themselves massive salaries and of course debt servicing is a big thing for the for the banks right and so there's some some tax savings in in doing it that way of course when you're unable to qualify for the mortgage maybe one opportunity would be to go and and borrow from a group like neighborhood and and are you going to pay higher rates sure you are but there's also some cost savings from from on the tax side right? right so for a lot of these groups you know the strategy might be go get the financing from neighborhood increase your income for uh for uh, you know one two years and then go and refinance with the bank and there can be situations where you actually come out ahead on the dollars and cents side. So I think there's this misunderstanding of the industry where you're just going after bottom of the barrel borrowers. And it's just it's just not the case, particularly with neighborhood. Yeah, average credit score across our portfolio today is 695. And typically you'd say that a bankable credit score would be anything over 600 or 650. That's really the bright line test. So our ideal borrower is someone who is currently unable to borrow from a bank. And maybe it's just the result of timeline. Banks can't close quickly, especially when the market is hot and we can. So maybe they need to get access to that financing in short order, close with us, and then refinance with a bank in typically one year. You know, maybe pulling back just a little bit for some of our listeners that are not super familiar with mortgage funds and the ABC lenders and and, and a lot of this uh, complicated conversation around here. Justin, can you maybe start by giving us just more of like a bird's eye view or a high level view of of how mortgage funds work? Sure. From the investor standpoint, it's a pretty simple investment vehicle, right? Investors will come together. They'll pool their capital into an entity. Sometimes these are corporations. Sometimes these are limited partnerships. It doesn't really matter the structure as much, but they pool their capital together into an entity. And then those, those funds are loaned out to people that aren't able to borrow from a lenders, these would be your, you know, your your big five banks, right? And so the opportunity for investors is these borrowers pay higher rates, and those uh, that interest is then paid back into the into the fund, and then the fund distributes that uh, that interest income to investors. Sometimes quarterly, sometimes as often uh, as monthly, which is the case with with neighborhood. So it really is great for the investors. For the borrowers, I think uh, you know Lisa went in quite a bit to how it can be a win win situation for the borrower as well as as most of the time it's a it's a transitional period for the borrower. It's not it's not like you're trying to lock these people into higher rates for long periods of time. That's not the idea at all. The idea is is to to go and have them borrow for a period of time. Typically, a year would be would be would that be a fair statement, Lisa? Yes, that's correct. And and uh, have them refinance with the banks at at the lower rates. So the idea here is to is to find situations where it's truly a win win, both on the investor side and the borrower side. So I'm just thinking from the from the borrower's perspective, how do they find neighborhood? Like, do you have a do you have a retail storefront? And then can we talk a little bit about interest rates? And I guess that's ever changing at this moment. But can we talk about kind of the the potential delta between, say, what TD RBC is offering and, and what neighborhood uh, is offering? And in last stress test, does that apply to, to neighborhood? Um, maybe I'll start with the last one before I forget to answer it. Um, the stress test does not apply to neighborhood because we are not a federally regulated lender. Um, so we're not a deposit taking institution. Therefore, we don't have to comply with OSFI's regulations. Interesting. So then if somebody's having trouble, that, that must be a huge component of the people potentially looking They're They're having trouble getting past that hurdle in the traditional lending space or maybe the A lending space. I don't know what you actually call it. Yeah. So in times like these, 
the stress test does restrict who the bank can lend to, how much they can lend to them. And so we do see that though mortgage growth is slowing generally across Canada, it does mean that more borrowers flow into the alternative space to get access to credit. So a bank, you can, you can typically get up to 80% LTV, depending on you know the size of the mortgage you're looking for. Um, one caveat is in the alternative space, well, especially with neighborhood, we will go to a lower loan to value. So loan to value is the ratio of debt to the underlying value of the property. So if you buy a property for a million dollars, you get a loan for 500,000, your loan to value would be 50%. So at neighborhood, we do cap loan to value and at, um, well, we will go to 75, but on average, it's about 58%. And that's important for us from a risk management standpoint on the investor side. And interest rates, um, how, how can people think about what neighborhoods offering in relation, I guess, to, to what they're seeing on mortgage websites? Yeah, sure. So I guess your first question was, how do people find us on the borrower right. side? It is through the broker network. So we don't work directly with borrowers. We market to mortgage brokers who then talk to their clients and place them with neighborhood if it makes sense for them. Our average rate across the portfolio is 7.75 today, which may seem high relative to other rates in the market. But if you look at a one-year term with a bank, you're paying significantly more than you would with, say, a five-year term. And so people are really paying for that flexibility. So they can get a one-year closed rate with us, but they also can have a, an open term so that they could pay out at the end of three months once they get the documents in order and can move up to a bank or um, whatever they need to do to transition out. There are also interest-only payments, I believe, right, Lisa? So it, that, that eases a lot of the, the monthly cost burden as well. Right, right, right. We've talked a lot about investors kind of exploring options in mortgage funds over the years. What are What are the main appeals for investors? Yeah, well, for us back in in 2018, and it remains true today, there's a fundamental difference between investing in the debt of a property and and investing in the equity of a property. Like if if you buy a property, let's take that same million dollar property that Lisa mentioned, and and you put down your you put down your 20 percent down payment, right? You put your eight your 800 grand, uh, sorry, your 200 grand down, eight, get an 800 thousand dollar mortgage. Well, if the market drops. 20% and you own that house and for whatever reason you have to you have to sell. Well, let's say the property, you know, let's just say it's a, an investor and the property's negative cash flow and it's just a, you can't can't keep holding on to it. Well, how much of your 200 grand have you lost, right? You you've lost 100% of it. Actually, you've probably even lost a little bit more cuz we haven't even accounted transaction costs, right? Like the Scalina's got to eat. So when you guys go in, there's, there's not as much as they do, but yeah. <laughs> they do a fee. So you take it on the on the debt side, you know, Lisa mentioned a 50% loan to value. Well, if the property drops 20% in that scenario, even if you factor in transaction costs, right? And let's just say for a rule of thumb, you use 10%. So market drops 20%, and then you use 10% transaction costs. That gets you down to, you know, recouping about, $700,000. Well, everyone knows the borrower, sorry, the lender eats first, right? So that 500 grand gets paid back first and and you get whatever is left, right? So due to the nature of debt versus equity, mortgage lending is just much more stable. You have an agreed upon interest rate, it, you continue to receive it. It's great for for income. And, you know, for a group like Neighborhood, when when we were first out looking for groups to work with, we, we combed through over 70 funds. And what we were looking for was a group that was quite defensively positioned. So when we talk about these things like residential only, that's a big deal because that's a, that's a substantially different risk profile than construction financing or land lending. Then you go and say, okay, well, what's, what's the loan to value? 58%. That's incredibly low. That's incredibly low. Like the majority of that portfolio would have to take a pretty dramatic hit before the the conversations even become uncomfortable, right? I don't think it was mentioned yet, but ninety eight percent of their portfolio was first mortgages. So that's a big deal, right? And then and then 
you know, you go and you look at it. And, and it's also nice too, that they're larger in size because once you get over, you know, we, we were looking for a group that was over a hundred million in size. And the reason for that is the systems are more established. Uh, Lisa mentioned that they go to mortgage brokers as a source of, of deals. Well, if you say no to those mortgage brokers, cause you don't have any money, you say it enough times and, and it's funny how they'll just stop calling you. Right. So, you know, they're certainly not all created equal, but if uh, if a group employs a strategy like neighborhoods and we think they're the, the, one of the best in the business at employing that strategy, investors love how defensively positioned, how stable they are, you know, that give them that a little bit, you know, everyone's had this these ups and downs in the stock market these days, right? And I'm not saying the stock market's a bad place to invest. You know, I, I've got cash in the stock market as well, but I can tell you which one adds more stress to investors' lives, right? Uh, and income. So, you know, those three things. Right. Can we talk a little bit about what an investor can expect? Kind of the terms, the term length and, and the stability of the return? Yeah. So our objective is to provide stable yield to investors. So when an investor invests with us, we ask for a one-year commitment up front. We distribute our income monthly. So depending on profitability, it does float, but our objective is consistent yield. So you'd expect to earn somewhere between seven to eight and a half percent net yield on a monthly basis. And, you know, in an environment as we're in today, like, I'm just curious because in 2018, it sounds like Justin was looking for neighborhood because you were feeling like you were looking for something a little bit more defensive, right? In a market in which everything was, yeah, going up very quickly. It was like, all right, maybe we're getting frothy. Let's move to the defense. We're in a very different moment today uh, than we were six months ago. How does a market like today where we have high inflation, rising interest rates, everybody seems to be, you know, nervous, potentially sitting on cash looking, where do I put this? Like, how does neighborhood look in a market like today versus say a year ago? Yeah, that's a great question. So in a rising rate environment, it is positive for our returns. 98% of our mortgages are a variable rate. So as rates increase, it does increase the profitability of our portfolio. We are a levered fund, so our cost of debt does increase as well, but that's only about 40% of our capital structure. So returns are expected to climb in a rising rate environment. Justin's point on our average loan to value across the portfolio being 58%. That's something that we watch really carefully because it's a great way for us to manage risk. In a market where there's a lot of uncertainty and really any market, when we underwrite any loan, we're thinking about the downside. We hope to not get there. In the years we've been operating, we've funded over a billion dollars in mortgages. We've actually never completed a foreclosure. We've never incurred a loss. That's not to say it's impossible, but that's thanks to our underwriting process where when we take on a borrower, we want to have a clear understanding of how is this person going to pay us? And that's based upon their credit history, their current income, and what's the property that we're lending on? And how do we assess a, a fair valuation of that property? So when we determine how much debt we're willing to lend someone, it's really looking at the downside to understand if we need to foreclose on this person, which again, we hope that we don't have to, how much can we lend so that if there were to be a market downturn and we were foreclosing, how can we ensure that we get our principal back? I would add on to that as well. Sometimes it's markets like these that make investors think. You know, I mentioned back in 2018, 2019, that's what led us to think, hey, you know, maybe we should have something defensively positioned because we th saw things running up at that time as well. But it's always a good time to have some to have some defensively positioned stuff in your portfolio because because the world's the world's uncertain. Like if the last two three years have taught us anything, you don't know what's coming. I don't know what's coming. Like we do our best to know what's coming, and we still you still don't, right? So it's always a good time to have a certain percentage. And, and if you're super high risk, maybe you know if your your tolerances are really high, and and you know maybe it's not as much money in something like this for, for the person that doesn't have, you know, a really high risk tolerance, but there should be some portion of everyone's portfolio allocated to something that I think uh, that has these type of, these type of characteristics, whether it's a mortgage fund or, or, or something else, right? It just happens to be that when, when the markets are like this, it's what makes you 
it's what makes you think of it, right. but it's not like it's any worse or better time. Like it's always a good time to have stuff like this in your portfolio. It's just the conversations are happening a little bit more often these days. Yeah. And in markets like these, we're happy to be debt investors and not real estate equity investors, because if there's fluctuations in the market, we have a large cushion before our principal would be at risk. Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. I'm just curious to to talk a little bit more about that risk because it sounds like, you know, if you're 58% debt servicing ratio, like people are putting almost 40% down on average when, when you're providing mortgage funds, right? That's a lot of money to put down. So it's not, you know, I think the, the point that you're looking for, you know, kind of these A clients that for whatever reason uh, are not uh, in that, you know, going to TD or RBC, it's pretty clear these are the the folks you're dealing with. What about areas of the country? How are you assessing risk? Are you just getting regular appraisals? Are you, you know, looking at, I don't know, some area of the country and going, we're, we're not interested in Toronto right now? Like, how does, how do you assess risk that way? Yeah, that's a great question. So our core strategy can shift over time with changing market conditions, but generally our, our strategy stays the same where we, are, we want to be built to perform, perform in any market condition. And so um, to give you an example, looking at different areas of the country, in 2016, we actually did stop lending in Toronto because it looked so frothy. So we pulled out of there and that was actually when we entered Montreal. So we are the first Western lender to enter the Montreal market. And that's been great for us. We like to have many small loans in many geographic areas. So our average loan size is 400,000 and we're in BC, Alberta, Manitoba, Quebec, Ontario, and Nova Scotia. When we look at the market today, we have done things like we've struck our lowest credit score bucket. And with our pricing curve, it is a curve. A number of other funds, their pricing curve is actually just a flat line. So they have a rate and um, that's what they charge, whether you're your credit score is 600 or 800 and your loan to value is 50% or 75%. For us, we set it up to be a curve so that we drive demand toward the loans that we want to fund. We have strict lending criteria. Those don't change really at all. But the deals that we're doing today are coming to us based upon our pricing. We're competitive where we want to be competitive and we're priced out of the market where we don't want to see deals. So it sounds like with the curve, 
right? Being priced out of markets, certain markets in Canada and being aggressive in others. I think there's got to be listeners that want to know which markets you're not interested in. In terms of geography. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's actually no market that we've shut out right now. It's something that we're we're looking at and we're probably a little more restrictive on LTV in some areas, but there's no market that we've shut out. And really at the, I think there's deals to be had in every market. It just comes down to the underwriting process, looking at the borrower, looking at the property and tempering that LTV to where you feel comfortable. Maybe in thinking about some of the challenges you you might foresee coming in the in the year ahead, what are some of the challenges uh, with what with what you're doing, and then also where do you see the opportunities? Uh, maybe we'll start with Lisa, and I'd love to hear what Justin's take is on the current state of the market. Sure. So um, I think the challenge and opportunity are really a double edged sword. So thinking about the challenge is market sentiment on the investor side. People really bucketing us as a real estate play. I, I think that that will come down to an education process, having conversations like these to to give them an idea of how we strategize and, and think about these market conditions. We are hearing about some liquidity drying up in the market. And for us, what we want to do is, is keep a solid, call it a cash position in the portfolio um, to allow us to ride out any storm should it come. And that's really a key line of defense for us. And what that allows us to do as well is take advantage of the opportunity. Because when liquidity dries up in the market, if other mortgage funds run out of money, if the banks become more aggressive and and tighten their lending policies, that allows us to really dive in and work with these borrowers who are creditworthy and deserve that access to capital to really grow our fund. There was a MIC in Toronto a couple of weeks ago that hit pause on on borrowing, right? Yes. I know on Twitter, it became, you know, here's another sign of panic in, in the lending market. Uh, any thoughts on that? It sounds like you see that as potentially an opportunity when other people are, are hitting pause. Yeah, great question. That is certainly an opportunity for us. And I listened to a webinar with that fund and they were talking about being 100% deployed and it being beneficial for the investor because it means that all their, ha- all their cash is out the door, so everyone's money is put to work. For us, we are a levered fund. So we're funded by both debt and equity. We have a syndicated credit facility with six banks and we have our investors as well. And so we target certain leverage ratios, which would be the ratio of debt to equity, which is a measure of our liquidity. So the lower your your leverage, so the more equity you hold relative to debt, the more liquidity you're said to, to have because we have room in our credit facility should we need to draw. And that's important to manage delinquencies. Should they rise, that's important to manage, say, investor redemptions or a dry up in borrowers paying out their mortgages. Every month we typically get, you know, 20 to 30 million in mortgages paying us out, which is a source of liquidity for us. But that doesn't mean that that will always be the case. And we need to prepare for these things. Even though the portfolio is performing very well today, we need to manage it assuming that that's not going to last. And so for us, that means managing our leverage to such a level that we can manage through any of these challenges that we see coming. And for us, we would view it as pretty damaging to stop lending altogether. Something that Justin mentioned earlier was if you work with the broker network like we do and you turn off lending altogether, that's very hard on their business. Having that consistency is so key so that you get their best deals. You want to get as much wallet share from one broker as you can so that when they have an alternative deal, they call you first. And that is a great way to enhance the credit quality of your portfolio. So for us, we can become more conservative but we also manage our communication with brokers to ensure that they can manage their businesses with the changes that we make. And we will we strive to have that 
available liquidity so that we can lend through these market conditions. And as I mentioned before, there's deals to be had in every market. You just need to have the right underwriting criteria to to work with those borrowers. So just thinking a little bit more about risk, Justin, for investors out there, I guess, first off, what's the minimum that somebody has to to put in uh, to get involved with this investment? And then what what are the risks? What has to go wrong here for this investment to go sideways? Yeah, Hawkeye Wealth's minimum for the mortgage fund is $50,000. And the risk is really, I put it into two different categories. I I put it into the risk of loss of capital, so risk of losing your money and, and liquidity at risk, risk of being able to get your money back when you when you want it. As for the risk of loss of capital, I, I already went through the difference, you know, the differences between debt and equity and how they behave. And that's why we like being on the, the debt side, particularly when times of uncertainty come. I really view it as as three different safety nets when you're on on the debt side, because three things have to go wrong before before you start losing money. The first is the borrower has to stop making payments. If the borrower never stops making payments, then then nothing goes wrong, right? So that's your first line of defense is the borrower. Your second line of defense, and when we talk about you know loan to value, first mortgage and all that, that's all that's talking about your second line of defense, which is your security, your asset. So, you know, if you have a property again with a with a 60% loan to value, you're gonna have to see a market drop of of probably close to 30% before the conversation starts to become pretty uncomfortable, right? When you start layering in the transaction costs. And then let's say you go through that process, which, you know, Lisa mentioned, they've never had to follow through all the way to completion, but let's say, you know, let's say it happens, right? Uh, In Canada, the lending is primarily all full recourse borrowing. So, you know, the borrower would have to be in really rough shape because personal assets and everything are, that's why Canadians pay their mortgages, (laughs) you know? So, so hopefully it never comes to that. You know, nobody, nobody wants to go through that process, which is why neighborhood is trying to attract the type of borrowers they're trying to attract and why, you know, as you can see, they've, they've successfully managed to do that. The liquidity part, I think it's something that investors need to keep in mind. So, so Lisa, correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is, is that Neighborhood Holdings has never had to deny a redemption request when someone's put in a request to redeem funds. That's correct. So Neighborhood Holdings has a 90-day notice to redeem after that first year commitment is is up. And they've, ne- as Lisa mentioned, they've never had to deny a redemption request. That isn't to say that there's zero, zero risk of you being able to get your money back when you want. If you had a lot of people trying to redeem at the same time, there might be a situation, it's, pl- it's plausible, right, where, where they might have to do that. One of the nice parts was when we were doing due diligence with neighborhood holdings, it was actually right during the, uh, the beginning of the pandemic. So, you know, we were meeting up with Lisa in, in February, March, April, May, 2020, right? And, and you know, Lisa will probably recall one of the questions every time we met up was, uh, who's redeeming? You know, what, what, are the, what are the redemptions, right? Because, you know, for our investors, it's, it's our risk is tied to how many of their investors are redeeming, right? So it was a great opportunity for us to get some insight into how squeamish neighborhood holdings investors are, right? And so, you know, one of the nice parts is, is I, I'm pretty sure it was on less than one hand that I could count the redemptions through that through that process. And it just gave us a lot of comfort that that the, the in current investors in neighborhood holdings are, are really stable hands. And, you know, for our clients, we know who our clients are. We, we try and bring on those type of investors as well, right? So, you know, that helps manage everybody's liquidity risk. So that's one thing we, re- we really like. Though I would say if you needed a guaranteed, let's say, you know, Three years from now, I have to have this hundred or two hundred grand back in my pocket. Like, there's no way around it. But you know, if you've got a choice to invest X or Y, I guess my point is, if you have a cho- choice to invest X or Y, and if you invested X, if you'd invest X, if you knew you had a guarantee of liquidity, but you'd only invest Y, if you knew that you know you may not get it back exactly when you want, just invest Y. Like, like there is some liquidity risk in this. Nobody wants the stressed phone call saying, oh, I need, I need my money back, right? There's a reason we have the minimums uh, that we do is to make sure that people can afford the liquidity risk, right? So we think it's a, a fantastic investment, both from, from a perspective of risk of loss of capital or, or what we view as, as a 
a lower risk of a loss of capital. And I think that the liquidity risk has been managed quite well. And it's also much better than most other private equity deals we do where there there ain't no getting out. Like the mortgage fund is actually very, very liquid uh, compared to most of our other offerings, offerings. So I know neighborhood is pretty, pretty cautious as well. And they go through and they're running scenarios all the time on, on, you know, what would happen if the market does a, a B or C, right? Yeah, we do. We stress test the portfolio. And part of that is our loss provisioning process. So I don't know how many people like to look at balance sheets like I do, but it's required that you carry some amount of loss provision, which is essentially your rainy day fund. If a loan goes bad and you incur a loss, you can provide for that in advance. So it really smooths the effect on your income statement and lessens the blow to the investors who are in the fund at that time. So we carry a loss provision. It's something that we assess on a monthly basis and something that's audited on an annual basis by our auditors. But in addition to that, we do look at the stress test on the portfolio and run different scenarios. One that we reported to all of our stakeholders last week was a scenario where there's a 35% market decline across the portfolio and 20% of our borrowers default resulting in foreclosure. And to give you an idea, 1% of our borrowers have missed one or more payments at the end of last month, and 0.2% have missed three or more. So assuming that that 0.2% increases to 20%, what does that look like for us? And when we run that scenario, randomly selecting the loans that would be in foreclosure, we would expect that about 10 million of the portfolio would be exposed to loss. And even in that scenario, we wouldn't expect that to impair an investor's principal. So that wouldn't be a NAV impairment, as you'd say. It would impact yield in the near term, but their principal would still be protected in that scenario. And, and Justin, I just wanted to kind of circle back because I think we didn't get uh, your response to the question about what challenges you see in the year ahead. And, and on the flip side, what are some of the potential opportunities for people? One of the ongoing challenges has just been finding deals that make sense. And this isn't even this isn't even something that is really recent. We, we've had challenges doing this for quite some time now. You know, October of last year, November of last year, the asset prices have risen so much that, you know, even though, you know, October of last year, we didn't know rates were going to rise this much this fast. If you go and look back at most of the pro formas, you know, <laughs> you realize that most of the pro formas undershot how how much interest rates were going to move and how quickly they were going to move. And, and we've probably got some more movement coming, right? But the deals didn't even make sense back then with <laughs> with those undershot numbers. So, so, you know, what's the challenge? It's the challenge is finding deals in, in this environment, right? So, so, you know, are the sellers going to come to play or, or not? I mean, the opportunity is, is I think this is really healthy. The deals, like I said, they didn't make sense six, eight months ago. The numbers have been bad for quite some time now on the equity side. So what's the opportunity? Well, maybe we start to see some deals on the equity side that make sense again. And then, you know, I guess another kind of side opportunity, and Lisa mentioned earlier, uh, increasing interest rates aren't very much fun when you're borrowing, but they're great when you're lending. Right. <laughs> you know, and again, you don't just invest in neighborhood because the rates are right. I, I think, you know, mortgage fund is part of, like I said before, it's part of a well positioned portfolio for really any environment here, but there is that little side benefit as, as rates rise as well. So, you know, I think it makes sense for investors to do something like what neighborhoods doing. And then, and then also I I'm hoping to have something to show uh, our people that really makes sense. Cause I've got no problem doing deals in a market that we're in right now. If the numbers make sense, like if they would have made sense six months ago, I would have done the deal. We haven't done much for the last six months, and it has nothing to do with the fact interest rates have gone up a lot. It has more to do with the math was bad back then. You know, even using these low, the deals couldn't take a hit. You got to have a margin of safety built into these things. But if we see a deal now where the numbers they make sense at, you know, the higher interest rates that they're that they're at now, because my personal belief is is interest rates aren't they're going to go up my personal belief is that they're going to come down again. You know, I, I think that there'll be things in the world that happen in, in the U.S. It's quite common as well as when you're in an election cycle and 2024 is the next election cycle 
for rates to lower prior to that election cycle. And we all know that, you know, Canada follows the U.S. uh, with these moves as well. So I think that's the opportunity is finally there might be some opportunity, which we very much look forward to. Well, maybe we'll leave it. uh, Yeah, maybe we'll leave it there. But we do have this segment called the Five Wire, Five Lighthearted Questions to end the show. Can you guys stick around for that? Of course. Sure. Okay. The Five Wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey, that sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the lower mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. Well, maybe uh, start with Lisa. One book you'd recommend for our listeners? Ooh, book. Well, my favorite book of all time is Sapiens. So, oh, that's been the third time I think in about yeah. three months. That's uh, okay. That's a Popular fairly recent. It must have blown you away if it knocked out every book you've read before *Sapiens*. Yeah, I love *Sapiens*, but a book that I just started, which was actually recommended to me by the founder of our business, is it's called *The End of the World Is Just the Beginning*. And he wrote another book called *Disunited Nations*. The author's name is escaping me, but really, it's talking about the global tensions and um, what's to come if all these nations need to, if globalization really falls apart. So it's uh, a bit scary, but I'm hoping that there'll be some green shoots coming out of it because the title's somewhat promising. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And you, Justin? One of my favorite reads that recently was a book called Unwinding Anxiety. I found that that I've never had to take so many inputs into my life as I've had to take in over the last uh, over the last few years. Like COVID hit, you're like, oh, okay, well, we're gonna lose everything, and uh, and then and so so there was anxiety that comes with that, right? And then you know even even you know you got the war in Europe. There's just we have so much input these days, and and so you know I wanted to be proactive on that, and it was it was really helpful for me because. It, it talks a lot about habits and the books I've read about habits, which and there's a lot of a lot of good ones out there. Atomic Habits is another good one, but they talk about you know physical habits, you know like exercise and all these kind of things. But and they talk about you know triggers and, and what you do after the trigger and and unwinding anxiety was very much about habits, but but habits in the brain. So so you have certain triggers in the brain and then there's certain actions that you also in, do in the brain. So the, the habits that never leave your brain. Um, and I found that it was really eye-opening for me to, to control my, you know, thought process and, and just, you know, separate the stuff from, that matters from the stuff that doesn't matter in a, in a pragmatic way, which, you know, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't matter. And, and, you know, there's some stuff that does matter too. So how do you declutter the stuff that doesn't matter so that you've got room in your, in your head and your heart for the stuff that does. Can, can we get an example of a, of a brain hobby? Yeah, there's, there's a few things that the, uh, that the author talks about. It's by a guy named Judson Brewer. He talks about things that, uh, that benefit your brain. And he says that you got to give your brain, like anxiety is a, is a reward. In, in a way is what he says. Like there's some ways in that we've evolved and that anxiety is beneficial. So he's, he says, you got to give your brain something that's, that's more rewarding than the anxiety itself. And, and he proposes that curiosity is one of those things. So there's a couple things that you can do physiologically that increase your curiosity. I was thinking scotch. <laughs> nothing no. to increase your curiosity. Like Justin doesn't drink. Uh, right, right, right. Okay. But, so, so curiosity. Okay, carry on. Sorry. Am I, get, am I getting too deep right now? <laughs> no, no, no. I don't think so. <laughs> Why don't you lie down? Get <laughs> you comfortable. Yeah, nap time. <laughs> no. So, so a couple things he said were, were, you know, make a sound. Make make a sound that uh, is, 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 you know, synonymous with curiosity. And he mentions that, you know, hmm. Yeah. And, and that opens your brain opens your brain to being open and, and curious. Another thing he said is, is try and be sad and have your eyes as wide open as possible as you can. So keep your eyes wide open because what the brain, what the brain is told when you keep your eyes wide open is to get ready for, you know, input. And so it's one of these things that physiologically 
you know, just helps you stay curious and, and staying curious is better than, than fretting most right. of the time. So, huh. you know, well, a couple little tidbits. I feel like, uh, I was doing a lot of doom scrolling when the war in Ukraine started and that was not good for you me. Were. Matt, Matt, I, I was, you were yeah. talking about I nuclear still, war, like full time. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I was. Still well, it's actually scary. Uh, it's, it's, legit. Terrifying. it's legit scary. But you're right. The anxiety, like your, your doom, like that. it's a whole thing, right? There's all these people on Reddit or Twitter or wherever you are just looking to have the, like the, the dose of anxiety that comes along with that. Right. And Matt, this is you and Twitter. Yeah, like you, you know what? And Twitter actually, off. I uh, so I put and this is uh, a little bit outside. I put a what is it, an hour or forty five minute a day cap where the app shuts off, but you can manually go in and turn it back on. Which I was like, I know I will never do that. And now I'm back to just like turning it Bypassing. off every day. I, every day I'm like I'm more and more and more. It's like the it's horrible. And, the, and, and the, yeah, there's the, nothing good on Twitter. The algorithms there's are so good. good now. Yeah. They're so good. They know they know how to get the uh, the, the dopamine going. He had, he had another quote on there, which I thought was really helpful for me, and, and I, I posted it up on my, my phone wallpaper for a while. It, it's, uh, you know, the saying, you know, don't just sit there, do something. Like, you know, to, to spur people into action. He flipped this on his head, on its head and said, you know, don't just do something, sit there. Because as humans, we have a tendency to, to search for that next dopamine hit. Right. You know, you just want to do something. You want, you want the dopamine, you want the dopamine. And so you, you pick up your phone, you check your email, you, you, you go and you do all these things for that next hit, right? And you never zoom out. So, so don't just do something. Sit there is a chance to kind of cut the cord with that, that reliance on that little hit. Right. And uh, I found that great. was a little, yeah, helpful little exercise as well. So I think these were a rapid five for these. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. That's question. Well, well, <laughs> welcome back. Welcome back to the mindfulness podcast. <laughs> I'm your host. Uh, this is uh, next question is uh, death row meal. Uh, your last meal on death row, I should say. And then follow up. Why are you on death row? Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> Pasta for me. And specifically the chef's tasting menu at Oka Pacifico on commercial if you nice. haven't been, oh, yeah. go. You need to go. It's so good. That's a great one. That is a good one. Wow. Right on. Okay, Justin. Uh, yeah, for me, it would be a double shack burger from Shake Shack, <laughs> which I actually haven't gotten to have one of for uh, over two years now. It's, uh, they don't have them in Canada. So if any of your listeners are looking for a franchise, you know, I'll keep you in business. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Lisa, what have you been binge watching lately or favorite movie? Okay. Yeah, I feel like such a nerd saying what I've been binge watching. And I I don't know that I've been binging it, but Iron Chef is back and it's on Netflix. And that's kind of my jam. <laughs> yeah. And of course, I'm watching Stranger Things. I've, oh, wow. uh, I've heard Stranger Things. Um, Kate Bush is, is back in like the top oh, 40. Which is a welcome. Things. Yeah, welcome. I've been, I've been listening to a lot of Kate Bush. But we're getting the number four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Justin. Weird tidbit, but yeah, go on. Usually I'm a, a sports guy, specifically the Toronto Raptors. There's not as much to watch these days. I, I'm trying to find things that uh, I can watch with my, my six-year-old child that we can both enjoy. And it's been, you know, it's hard. But I think, I think we've settled on battle bots. Oh, Nice. So, yeah, it's where they, they build these robots and they destroy each other. And, and you know, I, I get this to feel like This is a TV like show? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, I hang yeah, out with, uh, uh, well, we have friends that have a six-year-old boy. And it's like that show, The Floor is Lava on Netflix. There's like battle bots. Like there's a whole thing. American yeah. Gladiator style shows that uh, appeal to six-year-olds and me. Uh, that's, that's <laughs> exactly. A good, that's a great one. I just wanted to add, um, if you haven't seen the Adam Sandler, LeBron James uh, basketball movie oh, on Netflix. Hustle. That's, that's hustle, awesome. Yeah. 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 Worth I, ha watching. I, ha I have. You have? Oh, okay. <laughs> Good. Good. I, knew, I know you're a basketball guy. Okay. So the next question is favorite band or music, Lisa? Kate Bush? Oh, man. Um, that's a great question. I like a lot of different music. I've been listening to a lot of Lane 8 recently. Lane 8? Lane eight or Lane eight. We're about to show our uh, on Spotify. Yeah. I got this uh, alert saying you're in the top one percent of Lane eight listeners. And I was like, 
I need is to that diversify. A good thing or a bad? I'm not sure. Have a listen and let me know. I need to diversify. <laughs> For good. Uh, Justin. Uh, the, the older I get, uh, my my taste in music actually changes. I like older stuff. So stuff from the 60s, 70s, like if I go back and listen to some stuff from, you know, the Eagles or or those groups here, I, you know, Hotel California is just such an incredible song. If I was if I was going for like, you know, my, my teenage years, Collective Soul was my uh, was my band. Oh, uh, yeah. Every time nice. Collective Soul comes on, um, it brings me to a specific place. <laughs> yeah, nine, 1997. Yeah. Right? The park the, at the end of my street. Yeah. Is, that, is that the, uh, that yeah, late 90s. I feel like it was crazy. I was at uh, Superflux recently, and they, they were playing, playing like Lilith Fair, like the 90s. Like it was just like a 90s mix, and everybody was like kind of slowly dancing along. And I was like, this is crazy that, that I'm old enough now that the music I listened to as a kid is popular again with younger generations and also known as old music as known as old music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah you go in the grocery Classic stores rock. and you, you know when you recognize too many of the songs that you're getting old it's <laughs> yeah. like that's yeah. a good measure <laughs> yeah final question is something you've purchased for under fifteen hundred dollars that's had a positive impact on your life great question i'm trying to think here don't say airpods i was thinking my <laughs> airpods i was telling these guys that Recently, my AirPods have been misplaced, and it's impacting my podcast listening. Um, something else for less than $1,500. I don't know, a plane ticket to anywhere? Right. Traveling is so good right now. Travels a lot this spring, and I will continue to buy plane tickets for less than $1,500. Right on. That's a first. Justin. Uh, I bought... It's, it's kind of like a, a bunch of things rolled into one, but I bought a bunch of stuff for gardening for under fifteen hundred bucks. So I, 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 we grew a garden this year. Nice. Yeah, yeah. It's eating strawberries, and and uh, it's a lot more expensive than just buying strawberries, but it's a uh, it's a thing. It's satisfying. You're in your own ecosystem where you live, so you probably you get more sunlight than the rest of us. I think. Yes. Yeah, South yeah, Surrey. Yeah, yeah. Ocean, Ocean Park area. Yeah. Nice. Okay, so maybe just a final question. If somebody's interested in uh, in an investment opportunity, how can they get in touch, uh, Justin? Yeah, we've got all the information on our website at Hawkeye Wealth, and we're also regularly in communication with Neighborhood Holdings. In fact, we just did a webinar presentation with Lisa and Taylor Little, the, the executive team at Neighborhood, and, and you know answered a lot of uh, our investors' questions. So whatever resources people need, should be able to find on our website or or just get in, get in touch with us and be able to help you out. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much, Lisa and Justin, for your time. That was a great conversation. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with Lisa Stewart, CRO and Director at Neighborhood Holdings Investment, and Justin Smith from Hawkeye Wealth. Really enjoyed that conversation. Great having both of them in the studio. That was a few weeks before I got hit with COVID. So That's right. Man, I hope we're not going back to a place where we're doing everything over Skype. No, no, I don't think we are. Because, yeah, it was great having them in, in Kokomo Studios. And and just a couple things to, to note about that conversation. One is loan to value at 65%, yeah. the average there, which is kind of incredible. And this really makes a lot of sense, the types of borrowers neighborhood holdings investments going after because we actually fall in that category, right? If you're not, depending on how you're structuring the way you pay yourself or you're a small business, it's sometimes pretty challenging to get financing. So um, sure. there's a lot of really credit worthy folks out there that, uh, that would be using groups like neighborhood holdings investments. And secondly, just those monthly interest payments. I yeah. just love that idea. Well, here, here's uh, here's one thing. I know, like we've known Justin for years, and if he goes through all the various people he wants to work with, you know, he did it with a fine tooth comb. So I'm not surprised at uh, Neighborhood Holdings Investments at how impressive they are. And of course, uh, Justin brought it to the table. So I was you can find say, out more at hawkeyewealth.com slash VREP. That's hawkeyewealth.com slash VREP. And it speaks to, I just, I, I really like, you know, talk to a guy like Justin and he's pivoting in moments like this. It's, it's great. What else do we have for the day, Adam, before we cut? We have VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is our website where all things real estate related live. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com for 
our back catalog, the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast, the Livewire. This is our weekly mailer with stats before anyone else, different types of stats. We got really good pre-sale uh, residential deals, right. uh, commercial pre-sale deals. There's no reason why you shouldn't be on the Livewire. We also have private client services. Because Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free at your fingertips. It's available at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. What a great time to be monitoring the market with PCS and seeing the sold prices because it is an interesting moment right now, isn't it? Like We are in uncertain times. Well, the market has basically, the buyers have left the market. It's, uh, it's Things have really shut down. It's 28 and, uh, above. And the buyers I are see, gone. Don't you want to see the deals that are happening? What are people paying for stuff right now? What are, where are some? And I also wonder, you know, it's just interesting because watching the deals that are happening right now, which you get access to on private client services and when does, do things start shifting? Do they get worse? Do they get better? You can actually monitor by a sub market. What is exactly happening? There's no better time to be on PCS. You know, what's funny is we had this conversation the other day in the office about the strategy of trying to get people to overcompensate for where they think the market is going right now, a strategy as a buyer. So for example, you, you know, you're, you're out there writing lowball offers right now in hopes that you catch someone who's just nervous, right? And that's an interesting play, particularly because like watching right now, I've seen some deals out there where I'm like, is people that really, over, are, we are, really gonna, are we going to be seeing like, you know, like you see like a 700 bucks a foot deal somewhere where it's like typically a thousand and you're going, wait a second. Yeah. Does that like, seller, does that seller know something I don't or, yeah. or is that like a, I'm just want to get that, I'll get out at any cost. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. So it is an interesting time. It's really interesting also watching new listings come to market and seeing how like for good product and just seeing how it plays out. So it's a, it's a fascinating time to have private client services. Really, it's a free account. There's no reason you shouldn't have one set up. That's at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And one more time, if you are interested in what you heard today at Neighborhood Holdings Investments, HawkeyeWealth.com slash VREP. If you want to talk about that or anything else, give me a call at 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also got that Kokomo line, info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And I do feel like we're in Kokomo season here in Vancouver. It's, oh, it's phenomenal out there. I just, yeah, hopefully no fires, no crazy heat domes. But uh, yeah, stay safe. COVID is everywhere. It is. But uh, enjoy, and we'll be back next week. 2,000 Faces for Radio. Subscribe today.